Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll read the first 14 verses. Hebrews 9, 1 through 14. Hear God's Word. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? May God be pleased to bless the reading of his word. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word and we uh, thank you for uh, being a part of uh, your uh, congregation. Uh, we thank you that uh, this congregation is uh, but a small part of that uh, greater body of Christ that uh, is found uh, throughout the world. And we're grateful that uh, we have a place in uh, that body, uh, the body of Jesus Christ. And so as we're together uh, this evening uh, to look into your word, to sing and to pray together, we pray 
that uh, you'll be pleased to meet with us to apply uh, this, your covenant word to our hearts, uh, that we might uh, serve you better. And as uh, the scriptures tell us here, have our consciences cleansed from dead works to serve you, the living God. So bless us to this end, we pray, in the good name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen. Change comes hard. I already see some smiles and some nods. Change on an individual basis comes hard. Change on a corporate level and on an institutional level also comes hard. Change comes hard on the individual level as we realize that we are in a process of becoming, uh, by the will of God, more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And if this uh, takes place, then uh, we are changed daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, as uh, God prepares us for heaven. But often, uh, this change is not easy. It's difficult. The uh, writer to the Hebrews is uh, writing to uh, Christians, uh, uh, Hebrews, uh, Jewish folk, who have been enmeshed for uh, centuries, really, in a tradition, a, uh, a binding tradition, a long-standing tradition. And to come out of that tradition is difficult. And those who have been converted to faith in Christ are in danger of uh, falling back from their commitment to Christ into their old ways. And uh, they need to understand uh, that they need to embrace this change that has taken place. Uh, they need to embrace the change that embraces Christ. And uh, since... Uh, these changes that Christ is making uh, lead to Him. They need to embrace these changes. And so it is with you and me on uh, the individual level and on the corporate level in the church. Uh, change is difficult in the church too. Uh, those of us who have labored in the church for some time understand that this is the case. But we must embrace the change that embraces Jesus Christ. And this is where the text is taking us this evening. Uh, the text uh, begins uh, with the old system, uh, the old traditions, uh, which when the writer to the Hebrews uh, penned his letter, or as some have it, penned his sermon, uh, those traditions were 15 centuries old. It's hard <laughs> to change from such a tradition. Verses 1 through 5. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand, and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Uh, 
Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was the golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. The writer to the Hebrews is describing the tabernacle, of course. And uh, he's really thinking of the tabernacle during the time of Moses and during the time of the wilderness journeys. And he simply says that uh, this tent was prepared and there was a first section which is called uh, the holy place. And when you entered the holy place, on uh, uh, your left was a candelabra and on uh, your right was a table of showbread. And when you looked ahead in front of the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place was the altar of incense. And then behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was just a box. It was a box that was covered with gold. And the lid for the box, or the top of the box, was called the mercy seat. And uh, uh, there were two angels that spread their wings over uh, the Ark of the Covenant, two cherubim. And uh, this was the earthly dwelling place of God, the earthly throne of God. In uh, the Ark of the Covenant uh, were found a jar uh, in which some manna was placed so that there would uh, be a memorial to uh, what took place in the wilderness, how God fed the children of Israel with the manna. And then there was Aaron's uh, rod or Aaron's staff uh, that budded. And uh, this would remind the people that uh, when uh, there was a little grumbling in the congregation, congregations never grumble, but uh, sometimes they do, uh, when there was a little grumbling in the congregation about uh, the leadership in the, in the, among the children of Israel, and uh, some complained about uh, the position Aaron was given, God commanded that all uh, the chiefs of the tribes of Israel uh, bring their staffs, uh, their uh, great walking sticks, uh, to Moses, and he would place them before the Lord in the tabernacle. And uh, when uh, these uh, staves or walking sticks were retrieved, Aaron's staff had grown leaves and almonds. It budded. A miracle. And, of course, this was a sign to the people that Aaron was indeed commissioned to be the high priest of the children of Israel. And so, uh, here this uh, uh, tabernacle uh, was set up and established. And as I say, uh, when the writer to the Hebrews penned uh, his sermon... This was a 1,500-year tradition 
Now, you, you can imagine uh, that it's difficult uh, to make changes in a family uh, when there's such a tradition that goes back not only just two or three or four or five generations, but 1,500 years uh, this was the case. And uh, certainly it, it was difficult. Uh, those of you who are uh, familiar with the mission in Japan know that in many cases, uh, the Japanese who uh, come to uh, the Christian churches uh, that uh, we've established there sometimes attend church for up to ten years before they're ready to make a break uh, from the traditions of their families and the traditions of their culture and join a Christian church. It's a dramatic change. And needless to say, it is a difficult change. Well, uh, as we read the first uh, five verses, uh, did you run across uh, a piece of the text that seems to present a little bit of a difficulty? Uh, look at verses 3 and 4. Behind the second curtain uh, was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, etc., etc. The Most Holy Place having the golden altar of incense. It seems as though the writer to the Hebrews is placing the golden altar of incense in the most holy place. And when you read uh, the Old Testament uh, as to how the tabernacle was constructed, it's quite clear, it's quite clear that the altar of incense is in the holy place, not behind the veil in the most holy place. Well, what's up with this? Uh, when you read uh, the uh, end of verse 5, uh, it says, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Uh, you might get the idea that, oops, uh, the writer to the Hebrews uh, doesn't quite remember uh, what uh, the tabernacle looked like, and uh, so he's unable to speak about it in detail. Well, I don't think this is what's happening in the text. I think he's simply uh, telling us that he's got a lot of other things to talk about and he doesn't have time at this point to speak about all the intricacies of the tabernacle in detail. Uh, so, uh, disabuse yourself of the fact that maybe the writer to the Hebrews is making a mistake here. No. It's not very likely that he's making a mistake. And so, what's happening? Well, uh, let me try to explain it this way. Uh, suppose, uh, suppose this podium here is uh, the altar of incense. And uh, the priest comes in morning and evening, uh, puts uh, incense on the altar of incense, and the smoke arises uh, uh, before the curtain. And right behind the altar of incense is the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. Now, once a year, the high priest uh, went behind this curtain into the most holy place. Uh, 
And he did a couple of things. Uh, He sprinkled blood on the altar of incense. And then he went in and he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, This shows you there's a close relationship uh, between uh, this altar and the inner sanctuary. And the high priest would also take some coals from the altar of incense and carry them into the most holy place behind the curtain. And uh, he would put incense on those coals that he uh, uh, took behind the curtain so that a cloud of smoke uh, went up uh, before the Ark of the Covenant and the angels that are there. Now, it seems that what might be taking place in the text is this, that the writer to the Hebrews is ascribing to the coals that are taken behind uh, the curtain the altar itself. In other words, the coals come from the container, as it were, of the altar. And so, the writer to the Hebrews may indeed be ascribing to the coals the altar itself. And you might say, well, that's a little strange. Uh, Why would uh, a biblical writer do such a thing? Actually, uh, this kind of uh, figure of speech is uh, used quite readily uh, by us and in the Bible. For example, uh, you've no doubt heard on the news that the White House has said some things about the leader of North Korea. But it's actually not the White House that has said anything. It's the people in the White House who have done the speaking. But we readily talk this way. You see, it's a figure of speech. We're ascribing uh, to the people who are contained in the White House, the House itself. And it could be that that's exactly what's happening in this text. Let me give you another example. Uh, Jesus says with regard to the Lord's Supper, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, uh, interestingly enough, what Jesus is really talking about is the content of the cup. It's the wine or the grape juice that is the new covenant in His blood, you see. And when He says, drink ye all of it, we're not going to drink the cup. We think we're drinking the cup, but what are we doing? We're drinking the content of the cup. Hello? (laughs) It's a very simple, you see, use of language. And it could be that it's this type of figure that the writer to the Hebrews is utilizing in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4. Well, uh, you'll have to think that through a little bit more because uh, we don't have a lot of time to spend on that one particular issue in the text. And the text isn't spending a lot of time there. 
And what we learn next in, in the text is that this long tradition, this long tradition is worked out by the priests in the tabernacle. And this is what Hebrews speaks of next in verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is standing, which is symbolic for the present age. And one of the things that the writer to the Hebrews is telling us here is that that old tradition involving the tabernacle and the priests does not open the way to heaven. In the New American, or the New American Standard, no, the English Standard, uh, verse uh, 8 says, By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. And uh, I think, rightly understood, the writer to the Hebrews is referring to heaven. That the way into heaven is not yet opened. And you'll see in verse 12, uh, when it speaks about Jesus, He entered once for all into the holy places. Same word. And so, uh, what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us is that the, those old ceremonies, those old sacrifices carried out by the priests do not open the way to heaven. And then, uh, what does the writer to the Hebrews uh, tell us? Uh, not only does uh, do these old uh, traditional uh, formulas and sacrifices not open the way to heaven, but they have no effect on the conscience. Uh, look at uh, verses uh, 8 and following. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, uh, cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation." All of that Old Testament tradition was symbolic. And it could be understood to be symbolic for the age then present, or it could be understood to be symbolic for us today. Both are appropriate. And uh, this symbolism, a part of it at least, indicates to you and to me that the conscience 
the conscience is not at all affected by those sacrifices. Read it again. What did the, did the priest do? He entered once into the holy places, not by means of blood, the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus, well, uh, I'm in the wrong place, aren't I? Sorry about that. Uh, back up in uh, verse 9, which is symbolic for the present age. According uh, to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of worshipers. What's the big problem you and I have? Guilt of conscience. The problem of guilt weighing upon the conscience. The stain of sin producing guilt on the conscience. And those old sacrifices in no way affected that problem or cured that problem. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices were offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. The little word washings. The little word washings is an interesting term here. It means baptisms. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. And often I challenged my seminary students with a statement like this. If I can show you in the Bible one place where the word baptism does not mean dip, plunge, or immerse, then will you admit to me that the word baptism does not always mean dip, plunge, and immerse? If I can show you one case, and I point them to this text, where the writer to the Hebrews speaks about these various washings, these various baptisms, which include various types of sprinkling of water and blood and ashes and these kinds of things. What else does uh, the writer to the Hebrews uh, have to say to us? Although the old ceremonies did not open heaven or cleanse the conscience, a new age was coming. 
Verse 10 again. But deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. And the word reformation refers to a new age that's coming. And the writer to the Hebrews now proceeds to describe what happens. But, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come or which have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, he entered into heaven, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. But when Christ came, he entered the more perfect tent or tabernacle, which was not made with hands, which is not of this creation, which in and of itself is a concept difficult for us to grasp, since we are part of this creation. And when you think about it just for a moment and understand that astronomers measure distances in this universe by light years, that is, the distance light will travel in a year, and that other galaxies and stars are thousands of light years away and they're still part of this creation and you understand that Christ entered that greater tabernacle that is somehow above and outside of this creation, you begin to get the idea of how great and how magnificent this Christ actually is to be above, somehow above this created order. And he enters that place of heaven on the basis of his own blood sacrificed for sinners like you and me and Thus he opens heaven for you and for me. Not like those old, not like those old traditions. And what else does our Lord Jesus Christ do? He not only opens heaven for you and for me, but he deals kindly and tenderly cleansing our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Look at verses 13 and 14. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? By His work... Jesus Christ actually does deal with your conscience and with my conscience. This is His work. And when He cleanses you from the spot and stain of guilt that is on your conscience, you experience a new freedom. A new freedom before God. What a wonderful thing this is. And uh, this new freedom from dead works, dead works are works that lead to death. This freedom from dead works is given to you in order to serve the living God. Again, Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The purpose of the cleansing is for you to be enabled to serve the living God so that your conscience now says Yes, when God says yes, and no, when God says no. And in that way, you are able to rightly serve the living God. This is the great change that takes place, where Jesus Christ opens heaven and cleanses the conscience. And you and I must always embrace the change that embraces Christ. See, this is the idea. The, uh, the folks to whom the writer to the Hebrews was addressing uh, his words were people who were in danger of falling back away from Christ and falling back into their old traditions. No. Embrace the change that embraces Christ. Uh, you and I may fall back from Christ by refusing to change. By refusing to change and by refusing to embrace the change that Christ has embraced for you. And if that's the case, you fall back. As we began, change is always difficult, isn't it? And if there's besetting sin, if there are problems uh, in marriage, if there are problems in school relationships, and you know that changes need to be made, you need to embrace the changes that need to be made so that you can freely, freely serve God and freely serve Jesus Christ. This is the idea. And uh, uh, this is 
the big uh, point, it seems to me, that the writer to the Hebrews brings us to. Embracing the change that really embraces Jesus Christ. And so, uh, this evening, this is, uh, this is the simple challenge, is it not? Uh, for you and for me. Besetting sin, you know you need to change. You know Christ's work cleanses your conscience from those dead works to serve the living God. Embrace the work of Christ. Embrace the change embraced by Christ. If you are outside of Christ, some of you young people who haven't made as yet a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And you, you may understand in your heads the gospel and the ideas of the gospel and the idea of change that Jesus Christ brings in life. I say to you tonight, embrace the idea of that change that Jesus Christ brings and prepare yourself to stand before this congregation and say before the people of God, yes, I do believe in this Jesus Christ who paid the penalty due to me for all of my sins. Embrace the change embraced by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. You're good to us in every respect. We thank You for the Gospel. And we thank You for the fact that the Gospel does bring enormous change into the lives of people like us. Teach us to expect that You will continue to do this in our lives and help us to embrace the changes that You are going to make for the benefit of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the only Sovereign Lord. For we pray in His name. Amen.